Jesus told some of his closest followers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, a lot about how history in their lifetime would unfold. And then just a few days after that conversation, he died on the cross. But Jesus didn't stay dead, because just like he told them, on the third day, he rose from the dead. He then spent the next 40 days appearing to those apostles, giving them undeniable proofs that it was Jesus who they knew and loved, that he rose bodily, that that body that had died by crucifixion got up and walked out of that tomb completely transformed to be eternal, to be even more real than it was before, a body that was then able to pass into the heavens, ascending up to reign at God's right hand so that one like a son of man, Someone like us, but perfected, is there reigning with God over this kingdom. That good news would be what the apostles would go out to proclaim. But as the days became weeks, became months, became years, became decades, while they looked with hope, as Jesus had told them, for him coming on the clouds, as he promised he would, it hadn't happened yet. So much so that by the time the New Testament letter of 2 Peter towards the back of your Bible was written, it had been over 30 years. And in a lot of ways, things were worse than ever before. Persecution was ramping up against followers of Jesus like never before. False teachers were infiltrating the church. There was all sorts of tribulation and problems that people were facing. And it seemed like, especially based on the predictions that Jesus had given, things were going to get worse before they got better. Yet even with all of that unfolding, Peter kept it in perspective because Peter remembered what Jesus had told him. And as he faced the reality of his own impending death, he wanted to remind the Christians in that day, and by extension, all of us who follow Jesus today, of what really matters. He wanted to put things in a different perspective, to not to doubt as to whether or not Jesus was coming, because it had been decades, or in our case, it's been millennia, but to be all the more sure that he is, and to be really clear on just what it is we are waiting for. Because in the New Testament letter of 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with the first verse, he wrote, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It had been decades, but Peter remembered what Jesus had told him. The Holy Spirit undoubtedly helped bring that to mind and helped him remember. But Peter, carried along by the Holy Spirit as he wrote this letter to stir up our sincere minds by way of reminder, he wanted us to know some of the same things that Jesus had told him that day on the Mount of Olives in those days before Jesus' crucifixion. That the coming of the Son of Man on the clouds will be something that happens suddenly. As suddenly as the flood waters of Noah's day came upon the world, which was an example Jesus himself had used. He wanted us to think of it the way that we might think of a thief. He comes at a time no one's expected, and that'll be what it's like when Jesus comes too. So much of what Jesus taught Peter, we hear Peter now being inspired to remind us as followers of Jesus. Of. And while there are people who point to the fact that it's been years, it's been decades in Peter's day, it's been millennia in our day, who then scoff to say, Jesus isn't coming. This is all just made up. Religion's just opium for the masses. There's no truth to this. This life is it. Well, just remember, that's what they said in Noah's day. Recognize that as enlightened as we think we are, that's what they were saying in Peter's day. And there's a reason Jesus hasn't come yet. And it's not that he isn't coming. It's not that he's maybe changed his mind about coming. The reason Jesus hasn't come yet is because he's patient. He's giving more of us time to repent, to completely change our direction so that when he comes, we don't face him as rebels and enemies, condemned to be away from his presence forever. We get to welcome him as his people. We get to celebrate and rejoice with him. We get to have our lives in his presence now become lives in his presence for all of eternity. That's why Jesus hasn't come yet. That's what he's waiting for. So it begs the question then, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for when we let other priorities come in between us and what God wants for us to do? What are we waiting for when we put off our obedience to Jesus, when we delay giving our loyalty to him, repenting of our sins, being united with him in baptism? What are we waiting for whenever we say we'll serve God in this way or that way, or we'll give in this way or that way at some other time when there's a better time, a better season for it? What exactly do we think we're waiting for? Because I know what Jesus is waiting for, for us to get close to him, for as many of us as 
impossible to get close to. I know because of what Jesus is doing in our lives right now, the way that people who truly give their lives to Jesus, who truly learn from him how to live each day, experience change, experience joy and peace and love and kindness like we never had before, that all of that abundant life is going to well up to eternal life so that when Jesus comes and when everything that is impermanent, everything that is destructible, Everything that's dark or evil or painful gets burnt away and all that is left is what God wants, the way God wants it, what's eternal and durable, what's lasting. When that is brought to perfection in a creation that's restored, that's renewed, new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where everything is as God wants it to be, and everyone that is there is in a right relationship with God for Ever. When I recognize that as my hope now, when I see the goodness of God in my life as my life changes now, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for Jesus to come with enthusiasm for what he will do away with, for what he'll make perfect. I'm waiting for Jesus to come. And I'm inviting as many people as possible to join me, to find out how much better life lived with Jesus is, even when the world around us is still a mess, even when there's brokenness all around. I'm setting my priorities. I'm spending my money. I'm using my time in such a way that reflects the reality that the things that this world says is important the measures of success of job titles and bank balances and material possessions, the activities that people engage on and judge your value as a person based on whether or not you participate in them, those aren't the things that matter. What matters to God is going to be all that lasts in that day. Is that what I'm waiting for? Knowing that Jesus is going to come and life as we know it is going to change. That the things that people think matter so much right now will be dissolved. And all that will be left is what matters to God. Is that the way I'm living? What sort of life should I be living? Because that's the great opportunity in all of this. Maybe, even as a Christian, you know your priorities right now are not what God would want them to be. You recognize that you've grown awfully distracted by things that will not last forever. But why did you wake up today? Why does God still have you here? Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? So that we can repent. We have an opportunity today, right now, to change direction, to change our direction, to get closer to God, to be where he wants us to be, so that when he comes, we can be excited for it. We can look forward to it. We can see that goodness that he's bringing into our lives now completed and perfected, so that we can welcome him as his people instead of facing punishment as his enemies. And when we know that the only thing Jesus is waiting for is 
for more people to repent. We can actually not only wait for that day to come, we can hasten it. We can hasten it by sharing our hope with others, by telling other people that truth, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, that Jesus lives and reigns right now in heaven, that their lives can change right now, that their lives will change when Jesus comes. And it can change for the best if we'll just entrust ourselves to him. You have an opportunity to choose today. What are you waiting for?